Hey, thanks for joining. This is Alec McNair, and you have found yourself an audience member of yet another episode of The King of Networking. During this podcast, I am interviewing people uh, who have had uh, risks and transitions and interesting career choices to inform some of my own choices uh, right now as I examine just what it is I care about in life and what I want to do next after having a 10-year run as an entrepreneur and an advertising person, a digital media entertainment person, and figuring out what my next steps are there. A couple years ago, I was considering the last decade or so and thinking about the transition from a two-person creative agency to 100 people to being acquired by a 500-person company to being acquired by a AT&T, which has like 400,000 employees. And, you know, there's pluses and minuses to all uh, situations and company sizes, but I really felt drawn towards the smaller early days uh, size company. And so I was uh, reading about and getting interested in startup companies and startup culture, uh, and especially companies that weren't, um, weren't my own, didn't have my name on the door to figure out what founders of different types of companies uh, were needing uh, to think about, okay, how could I serve them better? Is there consulting in my future? I, I didn't really know what that looked like because I hadn't really been a part of startup uh, startup life or startup culture uh, in previous years. And so about this time, I was asked to be on the board of Fuji, uh, not the mountain, not the Apple, uh, not the film, um, the marketing activation company, F-O-O-J-I. It is a startup company uh, based in Lexington, Kentucky. And if you're in the entertainment marketing space, you definitely heard of them. Uh, they do special marketing activations that connect social activities to real world fan delight, right? One of the best examples I think ever was uh, ABC, uh, as they were launching a new season of The Bachelor, hired Fuji to do this activation that if you tweeted something specifically, some specific hashtag, they would uh, find you, get you to fill out a form, give you some information, uh, give them some information, and they would send you within a couple of hours, a bottle of wine and a red rose uh, to enjoy as you're watching the premiere that night. So those real time, really special in real life marketing activations. Uh, and through my experiencing being on the board of Fuji, uh, shout out Greg and Eric, the founders, I was introduced to uh, new people on the board. And one of those people was a man named Dan Beldy, who I interviewed today. Uh, he splits his time between living in Lexington, Kentucky and Los Angeles. He bounces back and forth. And so we've had a chance to have breakfast a number of times. And he's really been uh, helpful, an advisor to me, a mentor to me in terms of being exposed to the types of thinking uh, that uh, venture capitalists go through, people who invest in companies, uh, what startup culture is like, what, what is the best quality of founders to look out for, uh, and what makes for a good investment. And so I caught up with him. He was on the road uh, a couple weeks ago, and we had a great conversation about his crazy career, starting out flying uh, uh, jets for the military and then getting into venture capital, working for Disney and other things. Uh, he is the, uh, is the nicest guy and an exceedingly smart guy and someone who's thinking a lot about uh, markets and different types of companies and white spaces uh, in the economy. And so uh, I'm really excited for you to learn more about uh, the career and life choices and uh, my relationship with Dan Beldy. You know, I always go back. It's funny, go back to. Uh, I'm a big Springsteen fan, of course. You two uh, probably sound like a child of the '80s, but um, you know, I love to read stories where I think he. I don't know how many takes he did on "Born to Run," but both of those albums, uh, "Born to Run" and then uh, U2's "Joshua Tree," they were, mm -hmm. and Bono was just either petrified or distraught that it was going to be a disaster. You know, they hated it, you know, yeah. kind of, and I know that's human condition, like protecting yourself just in case it's not as good as, but, but in yeah. hindsight, the fact that they almost didn't release them or, you know, it was never good enough because, you know, they, they didn't want it to be um, rejected or, or not live up to expectations. So as everybody's human. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly what I'm finding. Um, it's good for me to hear that too, uh, because, you know, you kind of grow up and you idolize, you know, maybe you idolize your parents, you have some mentors, maybe you have a coach or something in high school. And, uh, you know, for me, I just kind of thought, 
uh, people that were, quote, ahead of me and whatever path I was on just had some game plan and they were executing their game plan. And uh, I, I always thought that there would be some day where I would get to that point and be mature enough. And now I just realized no one has a game plan. They're just, they're, they're, they're responding to stimuli, doing the best they can, but no one knows exactly what they're doing. And they have all the human foibles and fears and insecurities that, you know, that we all had. I mean, even you saw my, my podcast art, like the, that's the art of, that's the photo of me in seventh grade. Yeah, yeah. And in it's some great. ways I still, I still feel as nerdy today yeah. as I ever felt. You know, even though I've had like, you know, quote unquote success and all that. And I think people would, some people would look to me and say, oh, you've done X, Y, and Z. You must like know exactly what you're doing. And, and I think part of me wanted to do this to say, well, not exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so can't we all, can't we all celebrate how human we are? I love it. I love it. It's a great message right now too. Yeah. For sure. Uh, well, tell me, um, tell me a little bit, uh, where'd you grow up and kind of what was, uh, what were some things that were inspiring or kind of set you down a certain path? Yeah, sure thing. So I grew up in New York on Long Island, um, oh, wow. oldest of four Irish, Italian, German, sort of typical middle-class family. Dad was an electrical engineer. Mom was a nurse. And I think, you know, fortunate to grow up in a, in a good neighborhood, uh, Kings Park, public schools. And yeah. I thought it taught early, you know, to be industrious. And I, I think a combination of upbringing and also just early on, you know, wanted to figure out business. I like business, you know, had a paper route, uh, started mm-hmm. a lawn business, a couple of, you know, things like that that are harder to do now uh, these days for yeah kids in junior high and high school, but, you know, great lessons in, in life in, in, you know, customer relations and just basic uh, business one-on-one. So I think in my mind, I always knew I wanted to get involved in business, you know, just liked it. And, and true to form, we had a guidance counselor at our high school that we had a history in our high school as a public high school where graduates went to, either the service academies or ROTC scholarship. And our guidance mm-hmm. counselor was very, he's like, Hey, if you're good at a lot of things, but you're not great at anything, you should think about, you know, serving your country and helping your parents out with college by, you know, getting a scholarship mm-hmm. and all that. And and so I said, Hey, that sounds like a good idea. I want to help my parents out. And so I had no military history in the family, but applied to a bunch of schools. And I actually had a ROTC scholarship to Penn to Wharton, I think I even had my roommate and still at this age thought I was going to be uh, a professional baseball player. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I was, you know, maybe uh, overly confident and, and enthusiastic about my abilities, you know, that everybody is maybe in high school. Yeah. Went down to the Naval Academy uh, on a whim and they said, we don't have scholarships, but you can walk on, try out for the team. And I was 16 or 17 at the time. And talking about decisions and fate and all that. I said, you know what? Yeah. I think it'd be great to serve my country. Maybe I'll be the Roger Staubach of, of baseball, you know, and be in major leagues. And yeah. So that, that was my decision. Uh, ended up going to the Navy. Uh, this is 90 or I'm sorry, uh, 81, 82 computer science uh-huh. was offered for the first time as the major. So oh, wow. uh, I had taken a class in high school and thought, Hey, this is going to be interesting you know, it's probably going to be the future. And, and so there's a little pattern here where, you know, I get some information and say, Hey, I think this is a general direction I want to go. Don't have all the answers. Yeah. It, I'm glad I did it, but you know, they were just figuring it out. The major, they figured out the courses. There was a bunch of prerequisites, you know, there was, there was a bunch of uh, inefficiencies and sort of pain in, in, in taking that, but I'm, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. And I'll stop there because I'll uh, uh, see, see where you want to go next. But that kind of got me to to the Naval Academy where, again, I mentioned I had no history of, of military in the family. <laughs> yeah. But it was a challenge that I, I sort of was proud of, of taking on. And it led me down, you know, a bunch of other career paths that, that eventually ended up where I am now. It's funny, like some 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 things as you reflect on your own life and you know, that some of that's just the fortuitous 
choice that you make, you know, I, I, I'm very similar. I, I, uh, I could have either gone to Pepperdine university in beautiful Malibu, California, Love that or I was, I was, yeah, it's the best, but I didn't choose it because it was beautiful or even because it was in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I was choosing between that and Abilene Christian university in West Texas where my parents went. And the only reason I didn't go to that school was because I got a, I got a better scholarship package to Pepperdine. And so you just think, oh man, like, yes, I made the decision, but like, what was I thinking at that time? <laughs> and, yeah, uh, well, and then, and then, uh, and then other things are timing, right? Like you, you, you start going to college when computer science hits. Um, and similarly, I, I was the first uh, class at Pepperdine where you were assigned an email address. Before that, it was just like, you know, if you, if you wanted it, you could get it. If you're into, you know, quote, the computers, you could get it. Yeah. But that set me down a path of like learning about, oh, what does this email do? And how does that work? And how does web design work? And it's just funny how some of those are your call and some of those are just timing. I, that's exactly right. You know, there's, there's a uh, free will and then there's, you know, external events. And I think that's a yeah. good lesson. You know, if you have a theme, uh, you know, for the, for this podcast and certainly my career in life, it would be, Hey, uh, I've, I've got a, a few things I know I like, let me point in that direction, sort of pivot around it and, learn, you know, there's failure, there's things you realize around, you know, the people you want to work with and surround yourself with Mm -hmm. that take time. And Mm -hmm. I think getting back to that, because, you know, we all have kids now, you realize uh, it it sounds cliche, but I think it is true in the end is everyone ends up where they're supposed to be, right? Because you can do grass is greener from a college perspective all you want, but Right. You make a choice and you make the best of it. That's kind of, that's kind of. Yeah. 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 And you, you also, you know, you also know how things turned out in this reality. You can't, you can't go back and do all the permutations because you got what you got and you gotta, you gotta deal with it and make the best out of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we you, joke. You never know if there was something. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it cut you off, but no. you know, speaking about being the Naval Academy, you know, you think about, I think about it now and, and a lot of my buddies do. And, you know, now we look at back on it fondly, but, you know, it wasn't fun when we were there. And it was probably a hundred times we were there like, hey, I made a, this is a big mistake and I should have went to regular college and all my buddies having fun. Mm. But then, uh, you know, from there, I ended up going to flight school. Uh, talk about mm-hmm. timing. I went to flight school the summer that Top Gun came out. So that was a good timing thing. And we had no idea. <laughs> nobody, nobody knew what that movie was, you know, uh, certainly wasn't the way world is now where you can preview things on Netflix and everyone, all the buzz was there. There's no buzz. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, flying an F-18 in many respects was like flying a big computer. And I, I served for eight years. And so interestingly, when I, when I got out, decided to get out of the Navy, this is like 94, right when the web was starting, the commercial web officially started in 94. I think it was yeah. a graphical web had, had, um, you know, played around with, uh, CompuServe and AOL and also the early online services. But I thought I had been out of tech too long. Like so much had happened. There was no way I, I, I could sort of <laughs> catch up. Uh, and I, I had a, an option to work as a manager of a pizza hut. I think I had an offer to be a pizza hut uh, executive or at least mm-hmm. you know, path to manager Doritos plant somewhere. I think I had the midnight shift in Smyrna, Georgia or join a, a young startup that was doing technology consulting for community banks. And, uh, wow. and that's, that's the, you know, that's the leap I, I took literally went from laying on aircraft carrier off the coast of North Carolina, my last week in the Navy. And then I was in a bank and I knew nothing really about banking. The, the founder of this firm had the relationships and hired a few of us that had backgrounds in computer science so I was in a bank with a bank dictionary and, you know, sort of a consistent theme of, Hey, just figure it out on the fly. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and we did that, you know, it was a good little business. And then sure enough, maybe two years into that little less saw the internet for the first time. Everyone remembers that I was surfing on a website, in New Zealand. This company was a little near Daytona beach, New Smyrna beach, Florida. And, mm-hmm. and went back to my wife that same day and said, Hey, the world's about to change. We got to figure out how to get, get out West. And, uh, wow. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll make this a little more interactive. You can, you can sort of. Pivot oh, I love it. Well, 
I, I just love the fact that you gloss over the fact that you flew F-18s. <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot. I get uh, that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, um, I, I could talk yeah. about that for a whole podcast, but I figured. You know, I'm sure. That was fun. It was great. And and I'm, I'm assuming you were like, were you stationed all over the world or were you mostly de- uh, nearby domestic? I was stationed, uh, yes, way worse than the Navy. So we were stationed in Jacksonville, Florida. Our base was there. Uh, I, I spent mm. most of the time out on aircraft carriers. So uh, mm-hmm. three years, more or less, uh, mostly out at sea mm. in, in the Mediterranean. And then I was an instructor pilot for two years. So I taught new students how to land on the aircraft mm-hmm. carrier. And, you know, the, about 300 carrier landings, after, after you get good enough to, you know, be comfortable, the day landings are a ton of fun. Uh, landing at night is never fun, and I don't think you'll find anybody uh, to, to ever – if anybody ever said it is fun, they're lying. So you kind of earn your yeah. way doing that. But uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's a different life for sure, and, and I'm proud uh, of the time I served. Uh, I'm glad for a number of reasons some of my best re- uh, friendships were, were formed there. You know, it was a yeah. bond sort of serving. Yeah, I always look back on it with, uh, with fond memories. I feel like um, most people that I know that had done some military service and then transitioned to some other thing feel like the way they interact with other professionals was really shaped uh, during that time. Uh, both, you know, how to lead, how to assess talent, how to motivate, all that. Did you did you feel that was true? I imagine being stuck on an aircraft carrier kind of forces you to get to know how to deal with people. Yeah, sure. You're given an incredible amount of responsibility, you know, as a pilot, of course, with the airplane, but but just yeah. on the aircraft carrier, there's, you know, 5,000, it's like a, a, a floating city. And you have young yeah. kids, you know, who are only a couple of years younger than you, but, you know, 18 or 19, helping direct the planes on, the, you know, probably the most dangerous job in the world. And, mm. uh, and so you, you quickly learn, you know, sort of the, the VUCA, you know, volatility, uncertainty, uh, complexity, and ambiguity, and how to operate mm. environments like that uh, from a leadership mm. perspective. You know, there's, there's a, a whole bunch of, you know, checklists and practice, a whole 10,000 10, hour rule applies. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and you get a sense of, you know, uh, a call sense of relativity, right? Uh, when you're in a situation like that, and I've lost, uh, you know, a lot of friends. Most people don't read about that. So sometimes it happens in, in peacetime, mm-hmm. but it's a dangerous profession. So, you know, things when you're talking about being in business, there are, you know, crisis situations and there are certainly uh, situations in startup, uh, being in startups where things don't go yeah. as well as you'd like. But, um, you know, compared to previous experiences, it prepares you to you know, operate in, in stressful environments and put everything in perspective is probably a good way to say it. Yeah, for sure. I think the second day, uh, I, you know, you finish flight school, you think you're this badass, you're going to go out and, you know, be like uh, Tom Cruise and go out on the carrier. Play, play volleyball on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> no, not that. Yeah. You know, all the, <laughs> we used to, we used to watch the movie and make fun of it on the carrier every, every, uh, every other day or something. It was, it was yeah. Yeah. So I was, uh, I think it was my second, you know, carrier launch, cat launch, they call it. And like I was mentioning, it's, it's dangerous uh, up there. And mm-hmm. the plane was turning, you know, the uh, pilot had to run up his uh, power to, to facilitate the turn. And the jet exhaust caught uh, a sailor on the carrier and mm-hmm. started blowing him down the carrier deck like a leaf, you know, just. And he, and he blew right off the, the edge and they sound the man that overboard and, and thank God he was okay. You know, the helicopter, there's always a helicopter flying during flight ups, you know, picked him up. Mm-hmm. But 30 seconds after that happened, the, they called the air boss, the uh, captain in charge of all flighter operations is starts mm-hmm. screaming at me because I was watching what was going on. And he's like, you know, follow your directors. You know, they got me all set up. And as soon as they picked the sailor up out of the water and he's okay. They, they shot me off the carrier. You know, I, I thought for sure, like, Oh, we're shutting down for the day and this is a big deal. And, you know, we have to see if he's okay. And uh, they're like, no, we just keep going. And I was, I was in the air. I'm like, this, these people are crazy, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Make sure he's okay. And then keep the, keep the keep machine going. going. Yeah. It, it, it certainly, 
you know, again, everything's about perspective said, Hey, there's yeah. a bigger, the bigger mission here. And anyway, I'll stop there. Yeah, no, it's great. I, um, Alan and I, Alan, my old business partner and I uh, would always talk about this book that we read called anti-fragile. And it's, it's the idea that not only are you, you know, can you handle the stress of, of, uh, of life and business or whatever comes at you, but you are um, equipped and ready to, you know, to, to go after yeah. those things and, um, and be really, you know, uh, seeking hard things because the hard things are worthwhile. And so, yeah, yeah that's I, a good, I, I can imagine. I, I like the anti-fragile and, and look, it doesn't come without trade-offs, right? I mean, you, yeah, you know, you put yourself in situations that, you know, there, there could be failure and, and I've certainly had a bunch of, um, you know, you get punched in the nose a couple of times trying to do things or, or reach, but it's still worth doing. And, uh, yeah. You know, I can sort of jump because uh, I think it's it, it sort of follows this path of you know, hey, how did you get where you where you are now? And I, I'd be the first to admit yeah. that when I decided to leave the Navy, or I'm sorry, I mentioned I um, I got into that firm Brintech that did technology community banks. Mm-hmm. I had no right. idea what venture capital was, and sure enough, you know, this is like serendipity of the choices you made. Some of the first businesses to put up websites were uh, venture firms, you know, trying to mm. uh, attract startups. So I learned that way and, and went to business school at Wharton and, you know, had the insurmountable task of seeing if I could break into venture. I didn't have an expectation that I even could. So, so I sort of parallel pathed, but what, I, in school, while everyone else, I think at the time, didn't really appreciate what was going to happen with the internet. A lot of my classmates were doing more the traditional career paths, consulting, banking. I was taking mm-hmm. the train up to brew pubs in, in, in New York and, and got to meet. I mean, the, I sent maybe 35 emails out and, and was able to meet mm-hmm. three, three venture investors got back to me. It was Tim Draper, Fred Wilson, John Hummer. So uh, I was fortunate. Oh, in wow. regard. And, and they were just nice in the sense that they, uh, you know, willing to, share some thoughts about the industry all were very upfront like hey it's impossible to get in the industry good luck um <laughs> flying f-18s help get a couple of the meetings you know people want to hear about that uh yeah sure and and i think part of it was hard work and flying out to flew out to uh meet the individuals i mentioned but then i also they believe it or not they used to have these things called internet world you remember it's like conferences i remember the, yeah conferences for the internet and i went yeah, my own dime for spring break. Uh, maybe it was my, I think it was my first year at business school, and I bumped into the uh, partners at Hummer Winblad, you know, and they said, "What are you doing mm-hmm. here?" And I said, "No, I told you I was serious about, about, uh, you know, getting into venture and startups." And and they made room for an extra associate that summer. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so part of it was, uh, you know, maybe the hard work, but the truth was, I think everyone at that point was starting to get inundated with new business plans, and so that was my job yeah. to sort of look through them all. And, and that was the, you know, foot in the door, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I, uh, I caught the very end of that dot com boom slash bubble. Uh, cause I graduated college in 2000 and then like the very tail end of it, I was there and I, I worked for, uh, Jupiter research, which, you know, became Jupiter yeah, yeah. media metrics. And, you know, as I like to say, I, I made more money as a 22 year old than I made for like the next 10 years. But like that was the era of <laughs> uh, paying, paying uh, young people who didn't know anything like myself a lot of money for uh, for ridiculous work. It was, it, was a, it, was, it was an amazing time. It was an amazing time. And I think people, a lot of people, you know, obviously young people who weren't, uh, who were barely alive then have no idea what that was like. And um, and certainly the idea of venture and startups and all that wasn't what it is now where it's almost has like the Hollywood shine on it. Like how, how was that world different then than kind of how we think of it now where, you know, everyone knows startups and you can, you know, go from nothing to the cover of like fast company in a couple months. If, you know, if you're one of the lucky ones. Yeah. It's incredible how, how it's become just, you know, part of the very fabric. I mean, even, uh, you know, COVID's been been horrible for the world, but it certainly let everybody get a sense for you know what happens when the whole world goes online, sort of at the same time. And yeah, you know, back back in the beginning or the, you know the early days, it was 
incredible amount of enthusiasm and excitement, but you know, very little. Uh, I mean, a lot of people didn't have access. Tons of articles being written about in general. Well, what what is the internet going to do to all these industries? Um, mm. So it was so it was a, an amazing time on reflection to you know to be part of. And I always characterize that part of my career as starting in '96, like three great years, a couple of crazy years, and a couple of character building years when it all came mm-hmm. crashing down. But the most amazing yeah. thing was a lot of the you know Bill Gross from Idea Lab that has a great TED talk about timing. And, mm. and he's spot on. A lot of it was timing. So, you know, we funded Napster and, you know, Spotify is sort of Napster, you know, 20 years, 20 years later. There's a lot of good ideas, but the yeah. infrastructure and the number of customers and access was not mature enough to sustain those businesses. But now, you know, from network effects, it's, it's incredible. You can launch something and, and do exactly like you're talking about, go from zero to IPO or zero to acquisition mm-hmm. within five years, you look at WhatsApp and yeah. I think they might've had 55 employees, maybe, you know, $19 billion yeah. employees. That's just like, that might be the apex of, of, uh, of efficiency from a, you know, value per employee kind of perspective. Yeah, so, of course. Uh, and, and the, the other piece to that is, you know, we're, we're good 20, say 25 years into, uh, commercial internet and you know just when you say well there can't be any more ideas it's just like waves are coming you know and, and new mm-hmm. stuff and so you always have faith in in innovation ingenuity and problem solving it comes out of problem solving and we're in this yeah. you know historic period we're, we're all benefit you know beneficiaries of it but it's just an amazing time to be alive we we absolutely have challenges as a as a nation as a yeah. as a uh, you know group of nations as a world uh, i tell this to my kids all the time you know would you rather be alive 50 years ago or 100 year ago, years ago 150 years ago and mm. i think that gets back to the perspective of just trying to appreciate all the i mean you know, the, even just in a normal week the announcements the things we're discovering in space the spacex launched just a week ago yeah uh, i mean yeah. It's, it's just incredible it's incredible yeah it's an incredible time We're going to take a quick break and then we'll uh, come right back. This podcast is brought to you by investing, um, specifically angel investing. I mentioned in the opener that I was uh, interested in startups and what makes a startup company investable and a good investment. And uh, I started researching that a little bit. And around that same time, around 2016, there was the rise of equity crowdfunding or equity crowdfunding, either one. Uh, There's a number of sites where you can put a small amount of money into an investment round for a startup company. There's StartEngine and WeFunder and SeedInvest and others. And, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of them and invested a few places here and there. And when I really wanted to learn about what it takes to be a, a good investor in companies and not just buying stocks of, uh, you know, of, of giant companies like most of us do through retirement or 401ks or whatever, um, but really investing directly in companies. Um, I can't recommend enough the book Angel by Jason Calacanis. Uh, he is a big personality. He's a great follow on Twitter. And uh, he wrote a book uh, that basically, with all of his great ego, describes how he does it in great detail and what makes for a good investment strategy when you're thinking about investing in startups. And so if that's you, you're interested in that, you're interested in learning more about that, what that world looks like, uh, maybe you're starting up your own company and you want to get a better sense of what investors can and should look for, first of all, finish this episode, uh, my interview with Dan Beldy, uh, and then read the book uh, Angel by Jason Calacanis. It's available on my bookshop.org uh, shop, which you can get to by going to mcnair.com slash books. Now back to the interview. I know that you were in the middle of the dot-com boom, and then you said a couple of character building years. What, what happened during those, during those years, kind of early 2000s, and kind of what led you to Disney? Was Disney your next step? Yeah, Disney was the next step. So, yeah, the character building years, it kind of gets back to the reference I made about flying F-18s. And mm. it was tough. Uh, you know, a lot of companies went out of business. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people out of work or at least, you know, big transition from where 
everybody's rushing to internet startups and all of a sudden saying, Hey, not so fast. Mm. Uh, there, believe it or not, there was a kind of a prevailing thought that, or at least some people had the thought told you the internet was overhyped, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, um, I, I did start to see new, uh, that was when blogging started, you know, I helped Technorati, uh, which is like a blog search service. Yeah. Get off the ground, uh, you know, precursor. Um, that was when, um, blogger uh, started and mm -hmm. I was acquired by Google led to uh, Twitter. So, so see, starting to see that next wave of companies was encouraging. Mm -hmm. And I got a call from a recruiter about the role down in LA with Steamboat Ventures, which had already you know been established in 2000, I think. Mm. And, and that was another, you know, fork in the road, so to speak, in that I was at, uh, you know, a, a great firm in Silicon Valley, uh, became a partner, um, you know, sort of the epicenter of tech. And here was an opportunity to go down and lead uh, a team um, on my own, the U.S. team for uh, Disney's venture group. And mm -hmm. at first I sort of was like, ah, wasn't quite sure. But after meeting the team and hearing from you know, from everybody about how they were thinking about the role and the uh, support that Disney had uh, for the effort, mm -hmm. uh, we made that. You know, uh, I, I went there and moved the family down to LA, uh, mm. and and it was a great decision. And the, <laughs> looking back on that, this is like 2004, 2005 timeframe. Mm. LA still had not lived up to. I say LA and New York were there was a lot of hope and expectation that they were going to be these innovation hubs, but they really hadn't had the big exit and didn't have the critical mass of talent and, mm. uh, and startups. And, and certainly over the last 15 years, both of those uh, area, you know, um, Metro areas, New York and LA have just flourished. They're not Silicon Valley. They never will be, but they've you know, right. got their own identity and own footprint of, of companies, super su successful companies. And that's what you need, right? You need the talent, mm -hmm. you need the mentorship, uh, the capital follows. Uh, there may have been, I think in 2005, there may have been 10 venture firms across all stages, you know, focus on tech maybe mm -hmm. in LA. And, and mm -hmm. uh, there has to be at least 50 now. If not, it's probably too many, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. And how and how was it switching uh, from you know kind of traditional well I venture up in the up in the bay uh, to Disney which is probably more focused on media than you had historically been or was that the case? Yeah, well, certainly focused on consumer. And, yeah, and and the you know what what attracted me to the role was it really you had a chance to differentiate in venture. Everything's about deal flow and getting in the best opportunities, and mm -hmm. so. There's clearly some top-tier firms in Silicon Valley that had established their ability, the Sequoias, the Benchmarks, the Greylocks, mm -hmm. of, of getting in those seed deals. So you can decide to start a firm and compete with them or you know, the orthogonal approach is, hey, you get on a platform where you can uh, join some of those opportunities where you know, sort of the resources of the Walt Disney, not just Walt Disney Company, but media companies in general could could sort of tip the balance. Mm. And, and so we really had a broad uh, footprint of opportunities. We funded, you know, everything from content delivery networks to uh, mobile ad networks to even, uh, you know, devices like a GoPro uh, camera. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, never felt that our investment um, opportunities were, were constricted per se, but you're correct. I mean, it, it was, you know, less B2B and more consumer. Yeah. And what, and what are the, I mean, you listed a couple of companies there, you know, what, what, uh, what are the companies you're most proud of uh, kind of being attached to during that era? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's going to sound cliche and it's not meant to, you know, we're proud of all the companies we invest in. I mean, sure. they all don't uh, maybe um, turn out the way you would have liked uh, some of the, you know, more proud uh, times I've had is really helping the companies that had a harder time because when a company's doing well, you know, they, they really don't need your help. Uh, <laughs> yep. and, and it's true in the venture business in any business, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're partnering with folks. It's, it's like a marriage. And, and when you're having a hard time is when you, you know, you want people to step up and 
you know, pitch in and work on a Saturday, work on a Saturday night or answer the phone anytime. So in general, I'll, I'll sort of make that comment. You know, they're clearly companies that we're proud of from a, a you know, success perspective. Edgecast is, is a CDN and Al- mm-hmm. Alice Kazarani is probably one of the best entrepreneurs we've worked with. We funded uh, Playdom, which was a social gaming platform. Uh, John right. Pleasant's the CEO, great uh, entrepreneur and <clears throat> leader. Uh, Dizzy ended up acquiring that company. Uh, I mentioned Nick Woodman and GoPro and, and my partner, Bo Lasky, sourced that. And that was a big success for us. So if yeah. you look across you know, the team, um, I'm proud of the work that we did. I think if you think about corporate venture and um, you look at you know, the Googles, Google Ventures and, and Nino at uh, Sapphire Ventures was SAP's venture arm, you know, mm-hmm. know, know the founding teams at all those groups. I think they leveraged some of the uh, setup and successes that Disney had early on that credit goes to John Ball who started uh, Steamboat. And it's worked really well for a lot of those firms. I say Salesforce in that camp and corporate venture has, uh, has blossomed itself over the last 10 years. In part, it's almost a necessity now for everybody to have more exposure to innovation and certainly mm-hmm. leverage uh, venture with their uh, corp dev and M&A teams. But um, it, it was a great experience there and, and loved interacting with all the different business units at Disney, learned a ton. Yeah, I imagine. Um, but then you uh, pivoted away from that. And from what I know, it, it sounds like you had a, a refocusing after that time into a more specific areas. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, we had a great run, you know, three funds. And uh, in the last five years, uh, I really, um, I don't know if I intentionally uh, didn't certainly put a shingle out saying, hey, I'm going to help other funds get launched. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, pick some passion category areas mm-hmm. or just aligned with, uh, you know, people and friends I really liked who were thinking about doing something. And, you know, the first instance of that was the, team at PowerPlant Ventures. So mm-hmm. PowerPlant Ventures is on a second fund now in Los Angeles, focused on plant-based businesses. I uh, have a passion for that category, you know, just as a consumer. My wife in particular uh, as a, has been vegetarian and vegan for years, mm-hmm. felt like it was the right time to, to launch something. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be no sort of trade-offs or compromise between uh, returns and mission. Yep. And as, as fate and luck would have it, you know, met the founders of Veggie Grill, introduced us to Mark Rampola, founder of Zico Coconut Water, and oh, wow. was able to <laughs> really leverage my venture experience. Uh, I, I certainly didn't have the experience in the, in the food space to help get that started and then bring in additional folks. Uh, and so I'm really proud of that. Very, very sort of successful. And in a similar manner, we... Uh, you know, bought, uh, since from, from the board that we sit on together, mm-hmm. bought property in Lexington, Kentucky and moved there. And uh, I, I spent a lot of time all over, but uh, my wife and daughter spent a meaningful time in Lexington. And, and as part of that decision, probably around the same time that efforts like Rise of the Rest and and funds focused on other emerging growth regions, just like mm-hmm. the experience I had in LA started to, to spring up, made some personal investments and then uh, started Airwing Ventures, which is focused on emerging growth regions, sort of tying them back. I mean, there's investments in LA. So the goal and idea was find, um, you know, sort of the, the top five opportunities in any given region. Mm-hmm. And what's typically missing is connections back to, sources of capital on the coasts, mm-hmm. talent on the coasts, and really find the companies that I felt could go from a seed or series A to something much bigger mm-hmm. and help those communities by having, you know, more high profile successes. And, you know, still a work in progress, only maybe two, two and a half, three years into it. Mm-hmm. But very exciting what's going on across the country in that regard. And I think you're seeing some, you know, big exits from a venture perspective. Uh, duo uh, cybersecurity company sold for I think it was at least two billion out of Ann Arbor. Oh, wow. um, uh, exact target, of course, in Indianapolis, and right, the list goes on. So, uh, 
I think what you're seeing, what, you know, it started in 94 and became, uh, it's, it's a big topic right now, just given everything that's going on in the country. Yeah. Um, you've got sort of a high, I think the things that are most important, high growth, you need high growth companies, high growth careers mm-hmm. and, and sort of high growth communities. And, and Brad Feld gets a lot of credit for uh, promoting uh, his book on, you know, startup communities. It's been sort of adopted along with the tech stars yeah. platform. So I think, well, I think we'll see, uh, uh, you know, that advance really quickly here. I mean, you know, next week I'm doing two sessions on remote working and my experience doing that. And like the, the amount of interest trying to figure out, Oh, you mean I don't have to have my like lease and office in Los Angeles or New York and we can figure out something else. And no I, can question. Have, I can have my people uh, afford a house in the city where they live and have talented people. I think there's going to be a huge, uh, push towards at least hybridizing that and that'll open up a lot more opportunities for people. So I, I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, no question. I think you're going to see that and uh, just looking at uh, the roadshow IPO process, right? It's called companies going uh, public. Yeah. Never went on a traditional roadshow, did everything on Zoom. Uh, I, th- I think it's, it, to your point, it's exciting. Uh, I think a lot of us realize, hey, it was great to hang out with your families and I was actually a lot more efficient at home. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, you know, anything will replace, you know, meeting people in person, but um, sure. there's going to be a lot more receptivity and comfort in, in doing things remotely. No question. Yeah. Like, uh, like podcast interviews. <laughs> yeah. I told you I'm expecting, uh, I'm just going to throw the gauntlet down that this podcast needs to clips Joe Rogan's deal in another, that's it. <laughs> I'm giving, uh, you, I'm giving you. I'm going to give you five years for that. Oh, uh, good. And then I'll I'll get a deal from uh, uh, Spotify for a hundred um, a hundred pennies, a uh, hundred <laughs> nickel, a hundred nickels. Okay, so you know, part part of my conversation in this podcast is just hearing about transitions and um, I don't know uh, people that have made made changes in their uh, in their career. Uh, and, you know, obviously we've talked about a few of yours and, and learned so, uh, along the way. Uh, I feel like you're someone that's navigated some of those transitions, I don't know, from my vantage pretty well um, with a degree of focus. And how, how do you think about those transitions? How do you think about those now? You know, uh, you're, you're in a place where I think you're, you're, you've built a, a situation around yourself that feels built for steadiness and kind of wherever you want to go because you kind of are running your your show, but, uh, you know, uh, you were, you were in my, uh, shoes, uh, maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, how did, how did you, you know, think about that time and, and kind of what advice do you have for people like me that are thinking about what I do next? How do I, I don't know, how do I pivot into the next thing? Yeah, sure. sure. So I think if you, if, if I look at my career and you talked about this earlier, uh, I, I picked a, a few things that I, I've, thought I liked, right? So I knew I liked startups. I always bought Entrepreneur Magazine and Inc. Magazine and mm. and and maybe for a time thought, well, maybe I'll be an entrepreneur, but I, you know, I got married young, had kids young. Mm. I, I tried to just be, you know, maybe practical and say, well, what's the closest you get to entrepreneurship and, but, but not be an entrepreneur. And that kind of, you know, led me to venture. Mm. But, but all that being said, you know, there's, there's, um, so, so I've looked at opportunities that have come across and said, Hey, you know, what, what's the pros and cons like anybody does. I think if I had one life lesson across that everyone learns over time is just, you know, surround yourself with good people, surround yourself with good mentors. Mm. Trade-off I made is I did a lot of things, you know, maybe independently, you know, flew jets, then decided to go to a startup then, you know, went to a venture firm and, um, you know, forever grateful for that opportunity, but there's not a lot of training, not a lot of mentorship in that business. So you're kind of figuring Mm -hmm. out a lot of things on your own, Mm -hmm. Um, like everybody did either, you know, investing mistakes or, you know, allocation of time, this, that, and the other. Yeah. But um, if I had to come back and say, you know, give advice or put myself in your shoes, I I would take, you know, the things you know you value in the professional sense, in a personal sense, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I don't think you ever have to compromise on, you know, people. So the whole adage, life's too short, 
surround yourself with people that, uh, you know, that, that you enjoy being around with. And mm-hmm. I don't mean, you know, you have to be best friends, but just, um, you know, from a character integrity perspective and overall compatibility, there's, mm-hmm. uh, you, you guys want the same thing, guys, gals, you know, everybody's sort of working towards the same goal and mission. Mm-hmm. I do come back to that. So I think if, you, if I looked out over, you know, what, 30 years now, uh, things that are important to me are, you know, mission oriented, the, the whole motivation for helping to get power plant off the ground, air yeah. wing, helping, um, you know, anybody uh, uh, that's, that's starting something. Canopy Ventures is this new venture firm with uh, 37 commercial banks that I am a part of. And, and as a partner, you know, excited about the mission there, given how how rapid changes are happening in technology and the infrastructure of the banking industry itself. So, you know, you're in a great position. I think anybody who's in a you know career transition can look to the past for the the answers to those questions. Hey, what did I enjoy? What did I... and then and then I would give give yourself you know some leeway and say, look, you're not you don't have to find the perfect thing. Just point yourself in the general direction where there's good people and it. Your gut tells you, hey, I think uh, this is worthwhile, not because it's, you know, I'm going to make a lot of money at it, just because whether it works or not, this yeah. is going to be fun. That, that's probably the best way I would answer that. And one thing I've been thinking about a lot recently is like, what does uh, success look like? Um, I think success to me in my 20s was just full of angst because it was so unattainable <laughs> yeah. by my own expectations. But, you know, now you mentioned like you got kids and you got priorities and just things change. Like how, how is your definition of like personal success um, you know, changed over time? And how do you think about that these days? Yeah, sure. You know, it's funny. My wife always jokes around that I'm, I'm obsessed by who's going to show up at my memorial service, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because in many respects, that to me, I, that matters the most, right? So yeah. I think about the friends I have, uh, family, you know, the things that are important. I never want to lose sight of that. And, and, in, in, in all honesty, sometimes I can be a bit of a workaholic and, um, you have to step back from that and, and, and have balance. If, um, there's one thing I realize <clears throat> I sometimes have a weakness with is just, you know, sort of getting spread too thin. So I go back to the core, core, core questions, like what's important? Like, yeah, oh, uh, yeah that, that's it. It's, it's, um, so, so I think doing things that you're proud of, whether they are wildly successful or not, um, don't compare yourself to others, compare yourself to your own version of yourself. Again, sounds cliche, but if you're going to be in the venture profession, if you're going to be in tech, you you know, you could easily say, well, look at so-and-so and so-and-so and and there are people who have Mm -hmm. unbelievable success, but you, but you can't compare yourself. You just got to compare yourself to, you know, the version of, of, of yourself that people are going to remember long before you're gone. And that's going to be your family. It's going to be your close friends and hopefully enough people in your professional business career that, that say, Hey, that person did things the right way. And, uh, you know, made the world a better place. That's probably all we could ask for. I love it. Well, that's, um, man, that's great advice. I I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I appreciate the time and, um, you know, you're, you're on the East coast, so I know it's late, late for you and in, in the middle of, uh, of working hard. So I, I appreciate you taking the time out. Um, and I've, of course always, so. uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've loved uh, meeting you over the last couple of years for breakfasts and, and all that and, and looking forward to continuing that sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. And Alec, uh, first of all, I applaud you for doing this and I appreciate you having me on. And even this, this is a perfect example, right? We, you know, we just met each other a couple of years back and yeah. you know, consider you a good friend. And looking forward to you uh, doing a lot of great things, whatever you're, this could be your next path. You never know, man. This this could turn into something bigger than you think. And, uh, but um, yeah, excited to see what's next for you and, uh, and, and happy that you're uh, doing these uh, podcasts. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Catch you later. See you, bud. Be good. All right. You too. That's my conversation with Dan Beldy. I hope you enjoyed and uh, got something out of that. I had not had a lot of experience talking to people in venture capital and in investments. 
until later in my career, until, until really the last couple of years. And so for me, uh, his experience is, has always been really eye-opening to me and uh, something that I did not know a lot about until about three, four years ago. And so I'm thankful uh, for you, Dan, and uh, for your help and assistance along the way uh, as I uh, figure out my own next steps. If you enjoyed this podcast, this episode, or any of them, I'd uh, really appreciate uh, getting a review, uh, maybe a five-star review if I'm lucky, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps uh, the discovery of, of uh, my show here and all the interviews we're, uh, we're doing and helping them get a bigger audience so they can help more people beyond just myself and my circle of social followers. Um, thanks for the listen. I really appreciate it. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, give me a shout at alec at mcnair.com uh, via email or any of my social channels uh, to hit me up and let me know what you're thinking about the podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening and uh, you stay safe out there.